0: Everyone, Kirk here, still working away on Strong Songs Season 6. And as I announced last week, the Season 6 premiere has actually just gone live right now for patrons. It's an episode about the Peter Gabriel song, In Your Eyes, which I've been waiting to make forever. Uh, it was super fun to make that episode, and I'm really happy with it. It'll hit the main feed in two weeks on February 23rd. But if you want to hear it early, if you want to hear it right now, you can go over to Patreon, patreon.com strong songs. You can sign up at the quarter note tier or high. And you can hear that episode, and then you'll hear every episode of the season two weeks early. And also you'll be supporting the creation of Strong Songs, which, you know, that's the only way that I make money off of Strong Songs. Uh, Just your support, listener support, and it really is the thing that allows me to keep making the show. So you can find out more about that, and you can go listen to that episode right now at patreon.com slash strongsongs. For now, though, to tide you over for another two weeks, one more bonus episode. As you know, I've been dropping bonus episodes into the main feed that had previously been Patreon exclusive. That's what this is. And while I've changed the intro a bit, you might hear some stuff in the episode that makes it sound like it's from a bonus feed that would maybe make more sense if it were a Patreon bonus episode. So bear that in mind. Anyways, this bonus episode was a follow on to an episode I made in 2022, Strong Covers, Volume 2, in which I focused on a handful of covers of famous Beatles songs. Those were the Earth, Wind & Fire cover of Paul McCartney's Gotta Get You Into My Life, the Ray Charles cover of Eleanor Rigby, also mostly by McCartney, and the Bobby McFerrin solo vocal cover of Blackbird. So that was a really fun episode. I was very proud of it. It really kind of came together. These cover episodes are really fun for a reason that I've articulated many times, but talking about a cover really does give a kind of a cool angle in on the original. So the thing is, when you're making a cover episode, there are so many covers, especially of Beatles songs, and I had this huge list. I mean, I was planning to even talk about some alternate covers as I was making the episode, and I wound up just having to cut them because it just wasn't feeling focused, and I only had so much time. But of course, there are a million interesting Beatles covers out there, and then I realized I have this bonus feed, and the It's kind of custom made or tailor made for this kind of thing, for sharing little extra stuff that didn't quite make it into the episode but I still think is interesting. So on this bonus episode I'm just going to go through a few covers of each of the three songs that I talked about Got to Get You Into My Life, Eleanor Rigby and Blackbird and just play a few of the other covers some of which I considered for the episode and a couple of which actually were linked uh, in the Strong Songs Discord by Discord users and are and are really cool and I just kind of wanted to share and I'll maybe point out a couple things about each one since they're all interesting and different in their own ways. So the first alternate cover I wanted to talk about is of Gotta Get You Into My Life. It actually came out in 1966 in the UK. It was performed by Cliff Bennett and the Rebel Rousers, and it did pretty well. It charted in the UK, and this record was actually produced by Paul McCartney. So it kind of has the stamp of approval, and it's very similar to the Beatles version. I was alone I took it right I didn't know what I would find It's definitely a lot smoother Cliff Bennett has a kind of more croonery kind of Tom Jones vibe than Paul McCartney does that really comes through on the pre-chorus Ooh, and I'd see you. Ooh, did I tell you What's interesting about this arrangement to me is that because McCartney produced this, it's basically the same arrangement. I'm not going to go into the particulars because I'm assuming that those of you listening to this listened to the main uh, episode about these, about these songs. But in the original, you know, the horns are kind of doing the trumpets hold the note and the saxophones do that descending chromatic thing during the pre-chorus. They do the exact same thing on the Cliff Bennett version. When they hit the chorus, they do it just the same as McCartney does it. So, you know, same performance, same horn part, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, same horn arrangement, exactly. So in the end, it winds up being this kind of interesting alternate reality version of the original where the singer is just kind of a slicker more flamboyant vocalist and there's a of, you know there's more going on the drummer is mixing it up more and the piano player is playing these bluesy fills so it has a little bit more of a mainstream vibe it maybe lacks some of the character of the Beatles version but it's still a great performance and a good arrangement because it's basically the original arrangement so I think that's just kind of an interesting oddity that the same year as the original came out this other version was also released and did quite well for itself. What can I do? What can I be when I'm with you? I want to stay there. I actually really like Cliff Bennett singing. I'd never really listened to him before, but I love that kind of saucier style of, of singing, and it kind of works for this song. It adds a bit of a, a bit of pomp and circumstance to the whole thing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, worth checking out. So there's another cover of Gotta Get You Into My Life by one of the other notable horn bands of the 1970s. This one was also shared in the Strong Songs Discord by Gospel of Hammond. Hey, Gospel of Hammond. And it's a really cool arrangement that does some very interesting stuff. alone so I took a ride I didn't know what I would find there. talking of course about Blood Sweat and Tears their 1975 version of this song let lead singer David Clayton Thomas put his own spin on it for sure So another really dramatic reinterpretation. It's different than Earth, Wind & Fire's, but it's got a ton of new ideas. They make some really major changes. The whole thing is built around this guitar riff that honestly reminds me of Elliot Randall's guitar riff from Reelin' in the Years, which Seely Dan recorded a couple of years earlier, so could have even been an influence on this. But that guitar part really kind of puts that in my mind. It has that kind of a 12-8 groove, but it's a very different kind of 12-8 groove than Blood, Sweat & Tears did. thought that was kind of a cool parallel. So generally just a more kind of rockin' arrangement with a much more guitar-forward sort of a thing. The horns are still doing a lot of cool stuff and then there's this huge change on the pre-chorus. Well, it's funny when I was talking about the Earth, Wind & Fire version, I mentioned that they kept the chord progression pretty much the same. They do that minor to minor major seventh to minor seventh to minor sixth thing with the chromatic leading tone that Paul McCartney is so fond of. Blood, Sweat & Tears totally changes this. So they're in the key of F and they do this thing it's like so they're playing in f major and then for the pre-chorus they basically go up to c major over d there's like a d pedal in the bass so c major over d then b flat over d then c major over d and then d minor just super different And then they change up this part going into the chorus as well. They do this climb up, like a scalar climb up into the chorus, where the original actually walks down. Listen to what the bass does at the very end of the phrase, leading into the chorus on the original. Right here. just this nice tidy walk down from C. Ba, 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 ba. Really straightforward, but it walks down. Now listen to what Blood, Sweat, and Tears does. They go in the opposite direction, so we're in F now. They start on 2, and they do this nice, kind of gospel-style 2 walk-up from 2 to 3 to 4 to 5 to 1, which is just a totally different energy. I mean, they take it in literally the opposite direction, but it still totally works. They They do their own thing on the chorus, too. This is a great arrangement. Honestly, there's a lot to be learned from this arrangement. I could have done a sort of battling arrangement uh, comparison between this cover and the Earth, Wind, and Fire cover because they're both really great full band arrangements, really cool reinterpretations of the song. Um, in the end, I went with Earth, Wind, and Fire partly because as I mentioned on that episode, for a while I actually thought it was an Earth, Wind, and Fire song and I'll always associate it with them, but I really like what Blood, Sweat, and Tears does as well and I just like, they're these sort of dueling horn bands of the 70s. They have similar names, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Blood, Sweat, sweat, and tears. Three things. We talked about the rule of threes on a recent Q&A. That uh, that applies to band names as well. Anyway, it's a great arrangement. I don't know if it's Ron McClure. This is the bass player for blood, sweat, and tears. Ron McClure, a great, great bass player. If he's the one who came up with these different bass lines, but the bass really changes things. They also do this kind of walking gospel style bass line on the way out that really changes the energy. It turns into this kind of like everybody in the church is on their feet while the reverend testifies kind of thing it's a great cover a very inventive and high energy performance and don't worry blood sweat and tears will get their day on strong songs at some point here there's a bunch of songs of theirs that i could talk about and they are one of my favorite bands of all time so definitely check that one out So next up is Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby, a beautiful song that really lends itself to being covered. There are a bunch of great covers of this song. There are a few in particular that I wanted to shout out. The first one is kind of interesting. It's by the great queen of soul herself, Aretha Franklin. And it's probably the most stripped down cover of any of these songs that I heard. So here's the thing about aretha's cover of eleanor rigby it keeps the lyrics and that's pretty much it she does the whole thing as a blues jam so if you remember the original goes back and forth between e minor and c major it's basically in e minor and then it drops to the flat six major every so often and it's kind of just a two chord song aretha also does it as a two chord song but she changes it she's doing it in the key of d and she's basically just does it almost like a d blues it's just like a d7 chord and then she goes to the four chord instead of the flat six which just totally changes the sound of the song and strips away a lot of the harmonic identity that it had to begin with and yet it still kind of works. I mean it's almost not Eleanor Rigby anymore I don't know where that line is or how that exists. I mean it's the same form, she's singing the same lyrics. I actually really like that she sings I'm Eleanor Rigby just because it's a sort of interesting interpretation to sing as Eleanor Rigby rather than as someone who's viewing her but other than that it's just such a laid back jam. They've changed the harmonies so much that I think it actually is an interesting interesting example of how far you can go from the original while keeping the lyrics in the form and, you know, making it identifiable. If you knew Eleanor Rigby and you heard this, you would still identify it as Eleanor Rigby. It's just very, very different. It's about as stripped down and different as a cover can be. next cover of Eleanor Rigby is a pretty recent one from just last fall and it's also a Grammy nominated arrangement it's really really cool by the musician Cody Fry. now I know Cody Fry because he's a featured artist on a couple of Corey Wong records the funk guitarist so I always thought of him as this keyboard playing singer but he's a great musician a great writer and a great orchestrator as he sort of showed off in this arrangement he did of Eleanor Rigby last fall The whole thing was recorded kind of separately, this is a very pandemic-era recording, with a full orchestra that he wrote for, they sound really good, as well as 400 vocalists. Among other things, this arrangement really modulates between huge sounds and very small intimate ones. up the rice in the church where the wedding has been Lives in a dream, waits at the window we're in the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. It's a great cover. It's very impressive in that way that things tend to be impressive when you get 400 vocalists recording separately and get a full orchestra playing. But it's also very intimate and it, it's uh, very thoughtful I think in a lot of ways. And also on the second verse, um, he uses a typewriter to illustrate Father Mackenzie writing the words to the sermon that no one will hear. Very much an area of interest for me. I recently talked about typewriters in music, of course, on a recent Q&A. Listeners in the Discord have actually been sharing lots of recordings of other typewriter songs. I've been sort of amassing a list of them. and might talk about them all in a future bonus episode. Anyways, it's a lovely sound. I really like the way they do that second verse. Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear No one comes near, look at him working donning his socks in the night when there's nobody there Anyway, just a lush, beautiful, very inventive cover of this song. Um, I really do recommend checking it out. And there's actually a video that I'm going to link in the show notes. He does a sort of score walkthrough of the song. He, He pages along in the musical score along with the arrangement and sort of highlights different things as they happen, which is a really nice way to listen to it as well, since he can give you some insight into his thoughts as he was writing this arrangement. It goes all sorts of places. It's a really beautiful cover by Cody Fry. So yeah, check that one out for sure. The next cover I wanted to talk about really quick was shared by Discord users Vazda, and it's really beautiful. It's by Joshua Bell, the great violinist Joshua Bell, and pianist-vocalist Frankie Moreno, who is not someone I was familiar with, but this is a really cool arrangement. It's very loose. It starts out especially really loose. It's this kind of rubato, almost improvised instrumental section. really nice and one of those things that gets more rewarding the more familiar you are with the song you can kind of hear what they're doing with it about halfway through Moreno sings through it which is nice as well and really lets Joshua Bell just do his thing as an accompanist where do they all come from all the lonely people where do they all belong Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear no one comes near Look at him working God, Joshua Bell is so good. I can't even imagine playing notes that high, that in tune. That's that's really a skill. So it's just a really fun lesson, mostly just for what Joshua Bell is capable of and the way that they play together. They're really both musicians are bringing a lot to the performance. Um, and then, of course, Bell gets to take it out with a little cadenza at the end. That's really something else. There is just, there's nothing quite like a violin playing perfectly in tune. So absolutely high. It's one of the highest pitches that you'll hear. Maybe the highest pitch that you'll hear on any instrument. It's almost ultrasonic. And what a beautiful sound. Good God. Joshua Bell, man. An Indiana University grad. People would always talk about him in Bloomington, Indiana, where I grew up. uh, The people at the music school would speak of him with quite a bit of pride. Justifiable pride. Because, man, he's pretty good at violin. So the last cover of Eleanor Rigby that I want to point out is Pretty much the polar opposite, and it's one that I did think about talking about. It's one that I was aware of, and a few people wrote in about it as well. And that, of course, is the 1970 cover by the Australian rock band Zoot. So this is definitely another example of taking this song in a new direction. So this is a total harmonic reimagining of this song. They're kind of in between keys here. I feel like this recording is probably sped up or slowed down. I'll just kind of play it in E flat since it's kind of E flat minor is is where it sort of sits on the piano. But they're probably in either D or E, and then the tape got retuned for the for the master. But um, playing this in E flat just because that'll kind of match it. They're doing this thing where it's like starts on one and kind of one minor. Then they do this riff that's like flat three to four to flat three. Then they actually do go to the flat six and they walk up a flat six major scale, which I really dig. And then they land back on one. So it's a way more involved, way more riffy way to sort of undergird the vocal chorus. It works. It's super different, but it's pretty hip. I'll never hear an overdriven guitar playing a major scale just straight up in a guitar riff like that. Without thinking of Queen. It was kind of a lot later. It was eight years later on Bicycle Race, one of my favorite Queen songs. Brian May does a very similar kind of a riff. I don't know if he was inspired by this, but it's a—it's uh, certainly some very strategic Brian May deployment. anyway just like to shout out these little similarities these little echoes whenever I hear them I do like this Zoot arrangement it's a lot of fun and if you haven't heard of Zoot they're a really cool band actually Rick Springfield who became famous over here in the states uh, under his own name was originally in Zoot they broke up very shortly after recording this but yeah it's a nice arrangement it's a cool cover and a uh, Zoot man good band check them out wearing a that Now, lastly, we have two covers of Blackbird. I'm not going to get as in depth on these, but they're both nice covers. Blackbird is such a funny one because the original is very simple, but also so distinct. I think the way it's recorded with Paul McCartney's little foot taps over on the side there, at least in the stereo mix, the way the guitar sounds, even the way that his voice is miked, the specific sound of whatever microphone it was they were using. Everything about it is super distinct, despite the fact that it's just a foot tapping and a guitar and a couple of overdubbed vocal tracks. It's very distinct. But then covers of it tend to just be someone playing guitar and singing it, or playing piano and singing it, which can be beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful song and it can sound good, but it's rare that people do all that much with it. I do, however, like these two covers that I want to highlight. The first one is Crosby, Stills, and Nash. They liked to perform this song live. There's a 1982 live recording of them doing it, and it's just nice to listen to them because they're, you know, one of the greatest vocal harmony groups to ever record, and they do a very nice um, vocal arrangement on... On this song, you were only waiting for this moment to be free, Black Bird, fly, Black Bird, fly, into the light of the dark, black night. They also do cool stuff like this. a beautiful cover it's very different from the original in that they use a lot of McCartney's voice leading but of course they're expanding it out into this three-part vocal harmony I just think it's beautiful and their live recording is nice too because it sounds live it just sounds like they're listening to one another it's kind of loose the guitar part is kind of loose you can tell they've just sort of learned this song that they love and then now they're just performing it for people and I like the intimacy of that the other cover is one that i'm very familiar with and really wanted to highlight on the show because i don't think that that many people have heard it i think i may have actually talked about it on the show in the past but that's brad meldow's cover the great jazz pianist brad meldow Alda recorded a series of records in the late 90s inspired by the great jazz pianist Sonny Clark, and they were called The Art of the Trio. This was his piano trio with Jorge Rossi, the drummer, and Larry Grenadier, the bass player, two incredibly good and very sympathetic musicians. They made this trio together that's just one of the most beautiful, sort of improvisational organisms to ever exist in music you know they're right up there with bill evans's trio with keith jarrett's trio the great piano trios of jazz this recording is from their first album and it's a pretty straightforward performance but it's so beautiful like larry grenadier is just pedaling a g on the upright bass but listen to how much he's able to do with jorge rossi's brushed drums Beautiful recording that's really just grown on me over time. The more familiar I became with the original, the more fun it is to listen to them play. And their improvisations, the kind of the point where I just stopped playing it, you know, they stretch out and Meldau really improvises. He, he moves all around through that chord progression, writing his own lines, and there's a lot of fluidity. They're a very fluid group, but they never stray too far from the core of the song and they, they don't lose the form. So once you know the song, it's really cool to listen to how they move through those chords. We'll be It's just this beautiful conversation. It's like everything with this group. It's kind of a great way in. If you haven't listened to a lot of jazz piano trio stuff and you want to listen to them, this song is one that maybe more people are familiar with and they still do their whole thing on it. It's a really killer uh, improvisational performance, but it's a more familiar song. And they do some other covers as well. Meldau likes a good cover. He has a couple of great Radiohead covers in his discography as well. Anyways, this is a great performance and I did want to mention it on the show because I didn't have space for it in the original episode. But really just lovely stuff It's really informed the way that I interpret this melody And the way that I play it on piano And also at the very end, Meldau goes solo And he really kind of digs in And I love the way that he ends it So let's let Brad Meldau take us home And that'll do it for this bonus episode with just a few more covers of the Beatles songs that I talked about back in 2022. As always, thanks so much for listening. I hope that you're as excited about season six as I am. And to mention it one more time, if you want to go listen to that premiere about a really amazing song, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes, you can go listen to it right now at patreon.com slash strong songs. And of course, if you can't become a patron, that's totally fine. You can listen to the episode in two weeks. No big deal. I'm very excited for Strong Songs season six. And I hope that you're as excited as I am Until then, take care, keep listening And I'll see you in two weeks with Season 6 of Strong Songs